You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For everything, for everything indie, for everything cults, it's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Ryan Hickey. And welcome back into another edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey alongside George Bremer. And George, we are five games through the regular season so far. I get with 17 games now. There's no perfect quarter mark of the season. But the Colts were, because the Colts were on a short week last week and our pod, midweek pod, was kind of both a, a post-game mortem of the Titans game and a preview for the for the Broncos, all kind of smushed into one. I figured now that we have a little bit more time to kind of breathe and let last Thursday's game kind of sink in and look ahead, this would be a good time to kind of get a, a quarter season review so far, kind of go position by position group, this things we like, the things we don't like, um, and kind of break down the Colts so far through five games, how they have been. And also, too, talk about what has been an epidemic right now in the NFL. And that is no one knowing how the hell to hit a quarterback. It's been, we've seen it on Sunday. We've seen it on Monday night yet again. It's been something that hasn't impacted the Colts, thankfully, so far, because I think everyone will be losing their minds more than they already are. But that's something we'll dive into as well here. So let me start by asking you this, George. Through five games, obviously the Colts are 2-2-1 two, two, and one right now. Without saying who they beat, without saying how they've even looked so far, if I just told you right now before the season started, through five games, the Colts would be 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. Would you take that or would you be disappointed? Uh, probably just slightly disappointed. I think you, when we were talking you know, in, in the summer, you were wanting to be 3-2, and two, so you're right in that, that general vicinity. Um, obviously, everyone would want to be 5-0. and oh. I mean, that's that's where you know everybody wants to be the eagles that that that's yeah. the real goal uh four and one you know would have been a really 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 good start i feel like two two and one not knowing where it's you know how it was going to play out you would live with that um i think the interesting part about it is none of those games are are lined up where you would expect them to be I mean, the two wins are against the chiefs and the broncos the two losses are, are to the tech or to the jaguars and the titans and then, you know, a tie with the Texans. I, I don't think you would have in any way picked those games to, to fall on the, to those slots. But I think you would, you know, if you had said prior to the Texans game, there'll be two, two and one after five. I probably would have said I could live with that. I think the frustrating part for me and why I would be disappointed is that at least for going to this year before the season started, me seeing how it played out. I thought our, our hopes were high for this Colts team 
just forget the division, like to actually be a legitimately good team. I know this division, it's tough because, you know, the, the talent right now, we, we've seen a lot of these teams struggle and historically the AFC South has never been that strong division that, you know, a lot of great teams come out of. But I thought going to this year, the Colts had the pieces. Now they had the quarterback you thought going into the year, Matt Ryan, that could take them over the edge and could make them a legitimate second tier, let's say contender in the AFC, not on the Bills level, not on the Chiefs level, but maybe in that, you know, middle range where they could be a dangerous team. They win the division, they get a home game and they kind of, who knows? I really thought this team would be a lot closer to that. And so when you say going into the year two, two and one, I would be disappointed, even considering you have in those first five games, the Chiefs and the Broncos, I was really high on the Broncos going in this year. Obviously the Chiefs are a great team and you have three division games in there as well. I was really thinking that this Colts team was going to be different going into this season. We've talked about the importance of getting off to a hot start. I think it would have been disappointing even if back in August we said, hey, they're 2-2-1 two, two after 5. And kind of, even if you want to, you can pick the two wins, which you probably say Jaguars and Titans, right? If you had to pick the two <laughs> wins, considering the division where they are. Um, but nonetheless, it's we've seen how they play. The record is, is nowhere near, you know, you're – Happy to be 2-2-1 two, two and one with how they played so far through his first five games, which has been mostly pretty pitiful. Yeah, I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> you go through five games, and, and you don't feel good about any of the games. Even the two wins have been really kind of ugly wins that, that the other team had a lot to do with uh, yeah, making those, those come about. So I think there's not been a game that you came out of all year where you felt like, I feel good about this football team. You know, where you can you can say this is really working well and moving forward, they can build off of this. There's smaller things. We're going to break this down here in a couple minutes. There's smaller units within the team that I think have had some positive moments and 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 have given reason to to be excited moving forward. But the team as a whole right now, there, there's nothing they've done that looks sustainable. There's there's no game you can point to and say if they play like that, they'll be all right. So let's dive, you just mentioned, George, let's dive into because you're 100% right there. Even though for the most part it's been ugly, there are some bright spots so far in this team when you kind of go position by position. So let's kind of do a progress report. I know, at least for me, that brings back some PTSD back in the day anytime you had parent-teacher conferences because usually that's more bad than good. Uh, but let's just do a little progress report so far in each position group. Give them a little grade so far, how they've been through five games. We'll start with the offense here in the first segment. Quarterback is obviously where we have to start. Matt Ryan, George. What grade through five games would you give the new Colts quarterback? I give him a D, and the only thing that keeps him from being an F is the fourth quarter. I mean, he's been good at, at bringing this team back, whether it's a 17-point comeback in Houston, whether it's you know getting the win in, in Kansas City, uh, even the field goal drives in the fourth quarter and overtime that you would want more. It would be nice to, to finish one of those drives in the end zone, but he did what he had to do to win that game. So, you know, tip your cap there. Uh, but the first three quarters, he it's an F. The turnovers are completely unacceptable. No one's going to even – I can't imagine anyone arguing that point. 11 fumbles. Uh, I think that's the <laughs> most in the in, in by any NFL player through the first five weeks since the merger in 1970. They've been lucky to get eight of them back, but even when they recover those fumbles, they're not – they're putting an offense that's already struggling behind, behind the chains. Uh, and then, you know, the seven interceptions, he was just – forcing throws in Denver. And I don't think there's much excuse for that. You know, we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about the receivers, but I think they've been better than expected. Uh, there's no reason to force the ball to Michael Pittman at this point. That's just a bad decision. Um, and that's what led to those two picks. They're lucky they survived them in all honesty, you know, tip your cap to the defense in that regard. But I feel like for three quarters, Matt Ryan has been awful. And the fourth quarter, he's been pretty good. 
I'll give him a D as an overall grade. I'll go C minus. So basically, in the same ballpark. I'll be a little bit nicer because I, you, everything you just said is one hundred percent right. The one thing I guess I'll, I'll give him a little credit for is that even in different spurts of the game, he's not been horrendous when he has time. Now we could talk about the offensive line and how much their impact is with the with the fumbles, with the picks. Like you said, Denver especially. There's no excuse for either interception. Unacceptable. But really, you know, you look at the Chiefs game. You look at the Titans game at different areas. He has, when he's had time to set his feet, kind of read a defense, he's not been terrible. He's been efficient. He's, you know, again, not putting up and maybe not as consistent as I would have liked so far. But again, we're also talking about, you know, I can have a C minus, you're giving him a D. It's, it's not like, you know, we're trying to paint a rosy picture, or put lipstick on a pig. That's basically what we're doing here to dress, at least what I'm doing, try to dress it up a little bit better, give him credit for maybe a few good drives in the second quarter compared to, you know, what we've seen so far. But you're right, either way, He's been below average or what you would want so far in every game in the first three quarters. His credit in the fourth quarter, like you said, that's really the only reason why it's not an F so far or a D minus. Um, is just that he has so far rallied this team, even losses, has gotten to the point where you could tie the Texans or get to a point where you're within one score against the Titans. You want to come through, his credit came through against the Chiefs so far, came through against the Broncos. And what was, uh, you could argue, one of the worst games maybe of his career ever with how those first three and a half quarters went. So either way, like I said, a massive disappointment so far, Matt Ryan, uh, so far for Matt Ryan. Definitely nowhere near the level of play we thought. Nowhere near, if you want to say, the adult in the room he was brought in to be as a 15-year veteran who's supposed to make the laps and supposed to, bare minimum, make good decisions with the football like you just highlighted, George. Whether it's holding on to it or whether it's making decisions throwing the ball, it's been anything but already the same number of interceptions as Carson Wentz had all of last year. Whew, not what you want for sure. How about running back? I'll go first here because I'll be honest. I don't want this to be a cop-out, but you do see it in progress reports in school. So I'm going to try to mirror that. I'm going to say incomplete. I'm going to say incomplete because I think there's two factors that make it tough to grade. Number one, the offensive line. Well, like clearly, Jonathan Taylor, I don't think, has just all of a sudden forgot how to read a defense and read a hole and know where to go or has lost speed or power. He's still a great running back that has not had many opportunities to kind of get his feet going here and get some positive momentum past the line of scrimmage. It feels like so many times... He's fighting just to get two yards. It's like, wow, that's an impressive two-yard run. It feels almost like a give-up at this point to run the ball with how bad the offensive line has been at run blocking. So that's tough to evaluate, number one. And number two, I thought both him and Naeem Himes would be more uh, of a focal point in the passing game, especially coming into the year with the question marks around their receivers and tight ends. And I get that's not really their fault per se. I think it's a lot with play calling, even the way Matt Ryan's reading the field. I don't think they've gotten enough opportunities in the passing game, I think Naeem Hines was going to get that opportunity on Thursday. Obviously, we know we got unfortunately hurt and uh, missed really the rest of the game after the first drive. But that's an area where I really thought Hines especially would be used um, a lot more in the slot, getting balls out of the backfield. We've seen them both in the field, I think, more already this year than we saw last year. I just don't feel like they're getting used enough. So also incomplete just because I feel like it's so tough to grade them when the offensive line's been so bad. And the one area maybe they could get you know a little burst in the passing game They've not been utilized or not even been targeted for the most part. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's really hard to kind of grade everybody in the backfield right now because the offensive line is just causing so many issues. Um, I'm still going to give him a grade. I'm going to say a C minus right now. Uh, I don't think Jonathan yeah, okay. Taylor trusts what he's seeing in front of him. I just, from what I've seen, I don't blame him. I wouldn't if I was him either, and he's not going to come out and say it. Uh, but from what I've seen, he doesn't seem to be hitting the hole as, as fast as he was a year ago. And I think a lot of that is he doesn't trust it's going to be there. He thinks he's running into a brick wall and he's waiting, trying to find a seam, you know, playing a little bit more like Le'Veon Bell, 
which isn't necessarily his game, you know, trying to wait back right. there and, and try to find something after the snap. I don't blame him. I think he's been forced into that. Uh, but I think that's where he's at right now. I also think, and this is easy for me to say now because you can't prove it or disprove it. I feel like it would have been a very different game Thursday if he'd been healthy and been able to go. When you see what Philip uh, Lindsay was able to come in and do, and we see what Deion Jackson especially was able to come in and do, I think if Jonathan Taylor's out there, it might have been a big game for him. We know that Denver had struggled stopping the run. They struggled at times in that game as well. I just think it would have been a different football game, and we might feel a little bit differently about the running back situation, but that doesn't matter. We can go back to, you know, if, if Rodrigo Blankenship makes the field goal in overtime, they're tied for first place. There's a lot of ifs. Right. They don't matter. we got to deal with what was there. Uh, I think Hines, I'd like to see some more opportunities for him, but I'm also a little bit disappointed with what he's done with the opportunities he's had. Now, not so much running the ball because no one's outside of Taylor. It's like one going into this week. It was like 1.7 yards per carry, I think, for players who were not Jonathan Taylor, which is telling you a lot about this offensive line. But even in a passing game, I just don't feel like he's making people miss the way that he was, you know, in, in, in some years past. Probably a lot of that's just not getting the ball in stride in the right spot the things we thought would happen with matt ryan they're not happening uh i think that's an area that could quickly improve you know i think taylor's gonna get better every year if you look at his numbers september's his worst worst month he gets better every month of the season uh i don't see any different any reason that's going to be different he's going to adjust he knows what's going on he's going to end up having a big game here at some point it's going to really help this offense out a lot i think naheem hines will get more comfortable with what his role is. He needs to be on the field more. I mean, that's part right. of it. He's got to get out there, get in a flow, and, and get those opportunities. We'll see how it plays out. Right now, I'd say C-. minus. I think a lot of what's going on with them, much like with Matt Ryan, isn't all their fault. Uh, but I do think there are opportunities that they could take a little more advantage of than they have to this point. And you're right. Two quick things. No, Naeem Hines, too, even before he got hurt, I think it was the first play the second play of the game in Denver. The screen pass drops the ball. It's like that. That's also part of it. It's like, He's not getting enough opportunities. You're 100% right. But also, too, when you are, you, you got to make the, the easy ones. At least, like I said, catch the ball first. Try to get out in space. Make a guy miss and kind of become that electric, you know, player in open field that he has been the last few years where he's so hard to tackle. Also, too, it is a little concerning. You brought up Deion Jackson and the Colts' run game outside of Houston in week one. That looked They looked their best, with ironically enough, without Jonathan Taylor on Thursday night against Denver. Um it's also concerning that you could argue his performance, 13 carries for 62 yards, was the second best performance of the season so far. Like Jonathan Taylor, obviously, week one against uh, Houston was what, a buck 30 or something like that? It was great down the stretch. But outside of that, it's been a whole lot of nothing. And we're sitting here talking about, you know, a fourth string running back that had the second best performance of the season so far. Yeah, lots of credit to Deion Jackson for that, too. I mean, absolutely. Lots of not credit to everybody else for for leading that way. But for him to come in and, and especially late in the game, run the way that he did, he's a big part of that victory. You know, we talk a lot about Grover Stewart, Stephon Gilmore, these guys that made huge plays. I think Deion Jackson was kind of underrated in, in, in that game. Uh, but I don't know where he fits in moving forward. You're not going to take a ton of, of reps away from Jonathan Taylor uh, to get him out there. But I do think you feel better now. You know, if he gets a series here and a series there. I think he's earned that. And it it's probably a good thing. You want to kind of take some of that wear and tear off of Jonathan Taylor. 100%. I think Deion Jackson's shown he can maybe be that guy. That's a great point. You're right. We've talked about too in the in the preseason, not kind of relying your entire offense on Jonathan Taylor and giving him a blow here and there to make sure you kind of preserve his body for late in the year and you know for the next few years as well. It's a great point. Let's stick with the skill positions, George. Wide receiver. You mentioned before they've been better than they get credit for. So far through five games, what grade would you give them? 
I'm going to give them the best grade on offense. I'm going to give them a B. And I might be a little high here, but I feel like especially the last couple of weeks in particular, Alec Pierce has looked like the real deal. I mean, you know, talking about one individual, he's really coming on. He's been everything that they they hoped that he would be outside of that week one game in Houston. Uh, strong hands, really good 50-50 ball, you know, production. Um, he, he's been that, that, that sideline receiver that they've really been missing the last few years. I think he's had. I think he's gonna continue to move up. I don't think we've seen the best of him by any stretch of the imagination. I think Michael Pittman's a beast, and I think the fact that these other guys are starting to come on is really gonna open things up for him. Again, Matt Ryan's gonna have time to make a lot of this happen, so that's gonna have to play into this as well. Uh, but I think Pittman now has has you know with what we've seen from the tight ends and what we've seen from from Pierce and also Paris Campbell. He had a, a sneaky good game against Denver. Uh, you know, that's a guy that, that is starting to come on, starting to get his feet under him and, and, and starting to produce as well. It's going to be harder for defenses now to, you know, if you've got that that number one guy, although Denver ended up moving Sertain over to Pierce at some point in that game. If you've got that number one guy, you can put him on Pittman, but I think it's going to be harder for them now to double him or to really rotate their defense that way because the other guys are making them pay. And I think part of me giving them a B is honestly based on expectations coming into the year. If you look at where we thought this receiver group would be and where it actually is, I think they're the one unit on offense you can say that has outperformed expectations. And they've done it in in, in a tough situation. I mean, Matt Ryan hasn't had a lot of time at all, He's but he's getting rid of the ball more. He's getting the ball more quickly more and more often now. And I think that mm-hmm. also speaks to the receivers winning early in the down, which we were talking about they had to do. Great point. I just think that they have really come on. And even Ashton Doolin has, has had some solid moments. I think for what his role is on this team, he's played it well. And I just, I, to me, it's the most solid group on offense right now. It's definitely the group that has, I think, improved every game, like consistently gotten better. And they have made, like you said, the biggest stride and the most consistent improvement from week one to week five of any position group on the on this Colts team, without a doubt. Like you said, Alec Pierce is really settling in. I'm glad you brought up Harris Campbell. He's not been as explosive as I've hoped for, especially this year. But to your point, his credit, especially in the fourth quarter, he has found ways to get open, especially on third down. He has made a few clutch conversions to keep drives alive. And so far, it's early, I know, through five weeks, he's been on the field, which is nice to see that so far nothing's really limiting him, which obviously, as we know, is a big issue. I'll go B-, minus because also you're right. Like, with this receiver group, they started off slow. Not that that was a huge surprise, per se. We had a lot of questions, and that was kind of the one we we one position on offense, especially we looked at with a lot of question marks, kind of like with a side eye of how good are they going to be and how quickly can they kind of get their footing. Houston was, was tough. We saw Alec Pierce drop, you know, a touchdown pass wide open. It was... You know, a tough debut for him. No one else was really winning their one-on-one battles, like you mentioned. So we've seen progress. They're getting better, and it's been consistent for sure. So I'll go B-. minus. We're both the same group there for the most part because they have definitely gotten better as time gone on. And like you said, Matt Ryan now is starting to look more decisive, starting to look more comfortable, even though he's been under siege. Now you can see the trust starting to build with Matt Ryan and these new guys, and they're starting out to produce for him and make it to big plays when needed for sure. It's great to see, especially Alec Pierce on that last drive uh, of the of regulation in Denver with two huge catches, including saving the game on what could have been and should have been an interception that sealed the, the win for Denver. That's one of those plays where you go wa- back and watch film, and even in the moment, you kind of see right away. It's like, all right, that guy's winning my one-on-one battle. I'm going to slowly trust him more, give him more opportunities to make plays. How about tight ends? George, let's finish out the, the skill group. This is actually my highest grade, B+. 
Blocking wise, they've not been the best for sure. Agreed. But I will say receiver wise, they have not gotten a lot of opportunities. But the reason why I'm giving them my highest grade is because I feel like all three tight ends, Mo Ali Cox, Kyle, uh, Kylan Granson, and Jelani Woods, when they have gotten their opportunities, they've come up clutch. Jelani Woods, two huge touchdowns, including the game-winning one against Kansas City. Mole Cox, two touchdowns against the Titans in the red zone. Now he's become a, a, a target for Matt Ryan to look for. Um, Kylan Granton has, has made some big-ish explosive plays, you know, underneath breaking a tackle, moving and grooving. So they haven't gotten a lot of opportunities whatsoever. I feel like they've not been targeted enough. Personally, that's like, especially on Thursday night, where there's an area that, you know, you kind of see Denver has struggled with. I thought they were going to exploit that a little bit more than they have. But with the opportunities they have gotten, very limited, I've liked what I've seen so far from all three. Yeah, I think the tight ends have done a good job in the passing game. I, I'm going to break it down into two separate groups. I give them a B for their for their passing play because I think they've done a really good job. Uh, Mo Alley Cox in particular, I think, has been really good uh, and, and pretty consistent in, in that regard. Uh, Jelani Woods has been a red zone threat. And Granson's been kind of sneaky in the way that Paris Campbell's been sneaky. He makes these yes. plays and you kind of forget about them because they weren't necessarily, you know, at the end of the game or they weren't necessarily touchdowns, but they kept drives alive. He's also been really good on special teams. I don't know how you yes. factor that into this grade, but he's been good really point. good on special teams as well. So, but I'm going to give him a D for blocking. I think that's one of the biggest things, you know, the offensive line deserves all the hate that it's been getting. It, it deserves every bit of criticism that that's been leveled its way. But I think one of the guys that this, this team misses the most is Jack Doyle. He used to get out there and, and be a lead blocker on some of these runs, especially the sweeps and things like that. Clear out some of these linebackers, give Jonathan Taylor some room. These line, these tight ends have not been able to do that. I don't know though, how much of that's on them. And how much of that this is a Chris Ballard thing? I mean, you knew what you were losing in 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 Jack Doyle, and you really didn't make a strong effort to go and get that that fullback type of tight end in here. You know, if you're going to ask Kylan Granson to block Jeffrey Simmons as they did against Tennessee, I'm not putting that on Kylan Granson. Right. That's on the coaching staff. That's on the the general manager for for putting him in that position. You know, so I, it's a it's a bad grade for them. But it's also, I think, on the coaches in and on the front office, you know, where is that that hammer tied in? You know, where is that guy? You didn't bring him in. And so you can't really expect this group of guys to do that. Moe's been good at it at times. No one's as good as Jack Doyle was. Moe's been good at it at times. I think Jelani Woods eventually will be. He was asked to do a lot of it in college, and he's obviously a mountain of a man. Uh, so yes. I think he will get there. But look. If Kylan Granson's jo blocking Jeffrey Simmons, something's not right in your scheme. And that's why like, I can't be too harsh on them blocking was because you're right, George. Like, You knew coming into this year what you had. You had a former basketball player in Moelle Cox who's more used in the passing game. He's a physical beast and should be physically able to block. But again, he's, that's not really been his skill set or what he's been asked to do, especially when Jack Joe's been on the team for you know up until this year and Moelle's uh, entire career. Kylan Grant likes is an undersized tight end that has speed that, you know, is, is a good route runner. And Jelani Woods is a rookie. He's a big body, but also, too, you're, you know, it's tough to ask a rookie to consistently make those kind of blocks and put that responsibility on him when, you know, still trying to kind of get his feet wet. And we didn't really think that he was going to make a big impact this year anyway. You know, there was a, there was a chance he's going to get cut in the preseason before Alec Ogletree got hurt. So it's just kind of like, you look, you're 100% right. You look at the three guys in the tight end room and it's like, it's either it's on Chris Ballard for sure for not getting that guy. And it's also on Frank Reich and the offense for putting them in that position to where you're trusting a guy to do something that they're not accustomed to doing or they physically just can't do right now. 
It's it's tough, yeah. you know. You're 100 right. So that brings us, George, to the most maligned, most scrutinized position on the team, offensive line. I think we're in agreement here. So let, let's just count it down and say it together. The grade for the offensive line in three, two, and one is F. 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 We all know that. Only because you I, can't give them a Z. Yeah. I don't know why it only goes to F. Like they really should like make special <laughs> occasions for when something's been so so bad. Like break out an H, break out a Z. You're right. Let's just go all the way down. Maybe create a new letter if you want to. Yeah. How bad it's been, but holy smokes, it has been ugly. It has been. You know what the most disappointing part is George. It's been everyone. It's mm-hmm. one thing if it was Matt Pryor being so bad that uh, they just can't do anything in left tackle. It's another thing if Danny Pinter is so bad. That okay just destroys the line, but it's another thing where it's those two guys at times, but it's also Quentin Nelson, your pro guard who we've seen just get beat one on one and give Matt Ryan no chance. Ryan Kelly has been pretty much a big disappointment this year, the entire season, and Braden Smith as well. Again, he's been another disappointment. It's all five. That's a yep. scary part where it's it's not just the the you know one or two guys that have been question marks anyway. It's the anchors. Uh, of the team, and it's the three guys you paid to be a top three, bare minimum, offensive line in the NFL, and right now we're sitting there at a bottom three NFL uh, offensive line. Yeah, and I mean, we know the importance of this with Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. They've talked about it, I don't know how many times. They put the money into this line because that's what they were expecting. Uh, when this line is good, the Colts are good. I mean, that, when you look at when this team's been really rolling since Frank Reich's been here, it's when the offensive line is doing its job opening up running lanes, giving that quarterback time, you know, when that's going on, this football team can be really good when it's like it is right now. You see the results go the other way. Uh, And I a hundred percent agree with you. It's, it's everybody, which is, is really the concerning part. And I think I've seen a lot of noise on Twitter, you know, in the last couple of days with Frank Reich saying that they're still kind of evaluating this. It's still a fluid situation. A lot of people upset with that. I, I don't understand where the, the anger with that is coming from. If you keep rolling out the same line, how do you expect anything to get better? You know, there. yes, you need continuity. Yes, you need to get five guys playing together. You need to get the best five guys on the field. You need to get that, you know, that teamwork. But they gave up six sacks on Thursday in, in Denver. Um, you know, who who's going to look at that and say, let's just roll that back the way it was. And I get it. It was a short week. I understand all the things that go into that. Denver's a good front seven. It was a short week. It's a tough situation to be in. You had a rookie making his first start at left tackle. But if you see six sacks and, and you just roll the line back, that's negligence to me. I, I don't have any problem with them continuing to switch this up. And, you know, we were talking a little bit off the air. Is Dennis Kelly a potential answer for this team? Is he a guy that could come in maybe? And 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 he's played all over the line during his career. So, is that right tackle? Is it maybe one of the guard spots? You know, what what needs to happen? Is he a potential answer? Do you put Will Fries back in there uh, and move Braden Smith back out the right tackle? Whatever it is that needs to be done, I think you've seen enough of Matt Pryor, at least in my mind, uh, that, that he probably needs to, to be removed from this starting unit right now. Uh, but aside from that, you know, how you want to fix it, figure out a way to go about it. But I don't have any problem with them continuing to tinker with this line. I think they need to. You got to find an answer. And then once it starts to improve, then you can stick with that line and and let them grow together. And to your point, George, why you're 100% right is 
really no one has deserved right now the benefit of the doubt or deserved to keep their job just because. I, mean, I would say probably Quentin Nelson, okay, that's the one guy where you're going to roll out there, and I would say, you know what, fine. He's had a few bad games, but that's a guy that you stick at left guard and you're not moving. But the other four guys, like even for Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, whether it's moving positions, whether it's potentially benching them and, and thinking, okay, this other combination of five guys that doesn't include them right now, that's we got to at least give it a shot and see what happens. Or that's what we feel is going to be the best five. Like That's what the Colts have to do at this point. Because like you mentioned, it's five games. The sample size is big enough now where we have seen what's happened so far through the first four. If we exclude the Denver game, because that was, again, a short week. It's kind of uh, a mishmash offensive line there. But they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, yeah, they'll figure it out eventually. Or, or this, just give them time. They've had plenty of time. So now whether it is thinking, you know what, maybe Ryan Kelly's better at guard. Maybe it's Danny Pinter is our center and we're going to bench Ryan Kelly. Maybe it's, you know, we're going to slide, kind of keep what we did the, uh, on Thursday night, keep that same five of Raymond, Nelson, Kelly, uh, what was it, Braden Smith, Matt Pryor, one through five. Maybe that's what you try to do for one more week, but you're right. The Colts offense, like the more tinkering, I think the better, because at least they're trying something. At least they realize there's a problem and not sitting back and being passive. You're five games in. You played like crap for most of those five games. You're lucky to be 2-2-1 two, two, and one in the division, which is – you know, uh, still manageable to win, you can't just sit back and say, ah, well, we'll see what happens. We'll figure it out eventually. Uh, time is tick. Time is ticking, and there's already too much that's gone by to, to kind of have the status quo, like you said, and just be a-okay with the, with the five and hope, and hope, basically, that things turn around instead of putting change in place and seeing maybe this is our, our, our you know, our five. Like, could you imagine, let's just say that the five they ran out on Thursday night, George, what if that is their best offensive line? What if now they have a week of practice, this week especially? What if now two, three games in, they get comfortable, Bernard Raymond now is, you know, settled in. What if they start to return and everyone kind of clicks back? You'll be saying, thank God they were changing it. Rather than yep. sitting here in week 12, when the season by that point, if they don't change anything, it's probably lost, and saying, ah, oh, if only we made these changes early. Or, ah, oh, if only, you know, we tried this earlier. You know, having things click in week 14 when the season's already over compared to now week five going into week six when you still have a to turn the season around and save it before it gets too late. I'm with you. There, there should be no reason why anyone's freaking out or complaining about tanking with the offensive line because they've been terrible. Yeah. You got to terrible. It. Leaving them alone would literally be the definition of insanity. And I think you've yes. got to find a way to fix it and, and whatever it takes. I, at this point, I'm hundred percent with you. If it means benching Ryan Kelly, if it means benching Braden Smith, if it means playing them out of position, nothing should be off the table at this point, yep. whatever it takes because look, I don't know to what extent it's 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 factoring in the turnovers, but it's definitely a factor. And I don't know to what extent it's factoring in the run game troubles, but it's definitely a major factor. You know, if you improve the offensive line, a lot of the other things that that are struggling with this offense right now will improve as well. You're 100 percent right. So really quickly, George, we gave our position group grades overall offense through five games. Would you say what, what would that grade be for you? I'm going to go with a D again. I uh, just don't see the production's just not there. You know, the lowest scoring team in the NFL, the objective is to score points. You're not doing it. I'm going to give them a D. And, and again, the only reason it's not an F is because they have, they have come to life a couple times and, and, and gotten back into games uh, late in the fourth quarter. I'll go D minus just to be a little bit different, mm -hmm. but you're, we're in the same ballpark. They're, I mean, they're dead last in scoring. Uh, there's really, we've talked about some position groups like the receivers that have given you confidence and the Titans when they, in the passing game have given you confidence. And hey, maybe the running game is not as bad as you think, at least the running backs themselves. But I mean, overall, 
oh, this collective, they've come together. They've just been awful, hard to watch. Like I said, one of the wins was the most disgusting output of offense we've ever seen in Denver. There's, like I said, the only reason why it's not an F is because they have two wins. And they're lucky to get one of those wins for with how bad they played an offense for sure. All right, when we do return here on the Blue Horseshoe Pod, the defense, which I'm going to go on a limb here. A little bit more positivity, a little bit better grade so far than what we've seen on the offense. We'll do the defensive grades when the Blue Horseshoe Pod does return. 